Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the Tough Love Terry podcast. Yeah, not feeling that one so much. But anyways, today I am talking with my friend Johnny Edward. And let me tell you, okay, I do gush a little bit on the interview, but Johnny is somebody that I look up to as an artist. He is the beacon of like personal style, authenticity, and I think it's important to note that he owns all parts of himself, like the dark sides just as equally as much as his bright side. And that is what true authenticity truly is. It's not bypassing the parts of ourselves that we are afraid of. It's literally sitting with them as well to make room for them. And he talks a lot about that in this interview. And I'm just so excited. We maybe talk a little bit fast because both of us get really excited around each other (laughs) but you're gonna want to listen to this Johnny's the type of person that you not only want to like visually look at he says his style is a form of visual art Um, you don't just want to look at him and be like you look incredible you also want to listen to him and read his writing because when he says things it's just poetic and beautiful and you feel seen and heard and oh you're gonna love this and definitely stay tuned until the very end because at the end he drops some beautiful words for you specifically and you're not gonna want to miss out on that okay so without further ado we're gonna jump right into it because i cannot wait for you to have this experience Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about the new membership site that I just launched. It's called the Beyond the Body membership site, and it's for anybody who wants to uplevel their life in regards to body image, mindset, and creativity. You can find out more about it on my website at terryhoffer.com and just click the Beyond the Body membership sign up. You don't have to sign up for it to learn about it, but if you decide to, it's only $8 a month and there will be consistent content in the form of blog posts by me, videos from me, as well as some audio clips of me reading excerpts from my favorite books, in addition to podcasts that do not get published on here. So basically you are going to get a lot of content that's gonna help create a space for intentional learning and up-leveling and helping you become the person that you wanna be. All right, so again, that is at terryhoffer.com and just click the link that says Beyond the Body Membership Registration. Thanks, and I'll see you in the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm so excited because I am here with Johnny Edward, and I had the pleasure of meeting Johnny in... Was it Phoenix, Scottsdale? Where were we? It was Scottsdale, so, somewhere in between Scottsdale and Phoenix, perhaps, yeah. but it was somewhere, somewhere thereabouts. <laughs> that was my first time meeting Johnny, and I still convinced him to let me photograph him, which was awesome. That and was we, yeah, it was so much fun. But I'm really excited to have him on the podcast because he is somebody that, as an artist, I definitely look up to. And yeah, he's just got good views on things like creativity, authenticity, and He had a near-death experience, which we're going to talk about. So, Johnny, if you could introduce yourself to my followers, that would be great. Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the show. I guess we'll call it that. Um, But (laughs) the sentiment is definitely mutual. Um, You know, I love Terry. I look up to her so much in terms of who she is, what she does, what she stands for. But I could do my fangirling for a long time, so we won't get into that. (laughs) <laughs> all, all, all the seriously, all the amazing things, and I think that's why all of you are listening to this because Terry is so amazing. Um, but from the first time we met, there was just so much simpatico and just similar energy, and I think that ultimately we do it in different ways, but we're both striving for the same same things in our life and in our art, and we just want to celebrate and empower and uplift people, all people, um, yeah. most importantly, inclusively. Uh, but yeah, my name is Johnny Edward. I am a photographer and educator and mentor and art director and cat lover and humanist and a bunch of other 
things that no one probably cares about, but I love making art and I love connecting with people. And I'm based out of Denver, Colorado. That's where my studio's at. Um, but I travel nationally and internationally for a host of things, both fun and, uh, you know, more professional endeavors. But yeah, so it's, um, that's, that's sort of who I am and what I do. And I think I've just been referring to myself more as an artist recently, because I think calling ourselves photographers can be so Limiting. encapsulating. It, absolutely. And yeah. then it's like, well, I want to explore this, but like, it's not really the domain of a photographer and it's, all domains should be our domain. So, oh you know, God. you are speaking my language. That's exactly yeah. like what, uh, like I used to be Terry Hofford photography. And then mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, like five years ago or four years ago, I was like, let's just take photography off <laughs> and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Um, because yeah, exactly. I was like, am I just like, when you say like, I am a photographer, then there's yeah. Very specific representation of what. Absolutely should do uh the way that they make their money the way that they run their business like there's very yep. specific structures and for creative sometimes there's a clash in there absolutely um, definitely this year i actually did say to people because i even changed i think i'm maybe on instagram I, I don't know where i changed it but i changed it to saying like artist yeah and i was like no there's not just one way that i do the things absolutely um, and artist allows you to do all the things that strike your fancy at the moment i agree wholeheartedly and i think you know there's even just negative connotations if you say photographer you know someone automatically assumes like oh you're going to put a camera in my face and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be this horrible thing because all of us have had those experiences that were diminishing or belittling or less than so even with that to say like oh i'm a multimedia artist and i'd love to create your portrait just that type of verbiage alone creates a lot more i think openness and receptivity and brings with it a lot less bias and negativity just even from a internal societal pre-program kind of place yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's definitely a shift in, um, well, maybe not a shift in the whole industry, but I was like the way that I like the people that I talk to or like to explore art with in that, yeah, we want everyone to feel like they are welcome to be part of art instead of like, yeah, photography very much is like for the models, like people, yep. I, I mean, people can't see me do air quotes, but, uh, but <laughs> Terry's air quoting like, right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, but like people, like even when we say like a model call like people are like oh that's not me like I can't yeah. do that and it's like no 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 we just need somebody to stand in to do the thing like it yeah. doesn't you don't have to have any experience but definitely yeah if it's the representation of photography is very much like either school portraits where yep. you definitely that was not great or like life touch <laughs> style photos um and then like wedding portraits and then like that's it but everything in between kind of gets lost as like very more basic style stuff but there's so many things that we could be doing with, with photography and art and things like absolutely that. and i think for me i sort of had to do a little bit of soul searching because i was running into this issue where people were frequently reaching out to me and going, hey, Johnny, like, I love your vibe. I love your work. I love your energy. I would love to be photographed by you, but I'm not a model. And then it would be, I don't fit this archetype. I'm not this size. I'm not this person. And all of these things would come into it. And I'm like, wow, like, I need to be a lot more aware of how I'm putting myself out there to not seem as though I'm exclusively working with these individuals. And even when I started my Instagram, I was mainly focused on fashion and commercial fashion. So obviously I was curating my presence relative to that. So if an art director looked at my work, they're like, oh yeah, well, Johnny can do this. So I'm, I've, I've even been trying to shift away from that where, you know, titles for that, that becomes a thing. Well, I'm a portrait photographer. I'm a fashion photographer. I'm an editorial portrait photographer. I'm a lifestyle documentary <laughs> photographer. I'm a small, intimate kombucha like based elopement photographer. Down, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kombucha based. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I, I could run with that. They're like, no, I need people to know explicitly what I do with well, this label, but then you're pigeonholing yourself into this very like, what, it, but there's like everybody at their core is an artist like when you started Absolutely. you were an artist and you were trying everything and anything and seeing what happened but then we get into the entrepreneurial artist yep. and that's where art goes to die i think Absolutely. Agreed. Um, because there's yeah like basically it feels like there's 
only two like basically either you make money as an artist or not as an artist but as a photographer or you're an artist like yeah. there's not a lot of education or things like that that no 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 these things you don't need to have every photo shoot look the same for you to be a successful entrepreneur yeah. as well so well, and it, uh, it becomes yeah very formulaic i think and that's that's one of the things that happened to me and then it's it becomes very technical too where we lose sort of the expressive emotive connected type of side and i know like looking at your work i really started embracing blur and some of these elements again because they always spoke to me but in my mind i told myself i'm like oh well, if i have a, a you know a portrait of someone moving through the scene and they're blurring no one's going to want that and then i shared something like that and i had three people hit me up and they're like i want to be photographed like this this is beautiful so it becomes very self-limiting mm -hmm. to where i think people are almost filtered into these doctrines where like if you're not doing this you're not successful if you're not doing this you won't be or you have to do things this way and then it does it takes the the spirit and, and the humanistic element out of it where things become robotic yeah. and technician based. And we sort of lose the connection with the parts of ourselves that I think really um, the wellspring of creativity from which we all pull and we become disconnected from that. And that's just sad yeah. for everybody. Yeah. So were you always, let's go back to little Johnny. When oh, little, little baby kid. Johnny. Were you, were you always expressive? Like you obviously have like fantastic fucking style and like, like, were you always drawn to like textiles and things like that? Even as a young kid, like are there pictures of you at your like house and stuff playing with stuff? Oh, there's, there's definitely with me, you know, with like cardigans on dressing like a very stylish grandpa. I mean, I think the funny thing is even when I was younger, you know, my mom would come in and she would be going on a business trip and I would have like her heels on and pearls in one of her dresses because I was styling her ah. so even at that point I was sort of the go-to for like oh I'm going to a business meeting and it's going to be predominantly xyz do you think that I should wear the purple or the mauve or should I wear the gold or the silver and everything and I just I always loved that because it was just a way to be seen and I think even yeah. then I had sort of a tumultuous childhood and so it became like how do I influence um how people perceive me for better and for worse whether I want to stand out and sort of be like the ostracized rebel or whether I want to be like, you know, little baby Johnny American psycho where no one would look at me because I fit perfectly into whatever that box might be. Um, but it was just a very interesting interactive art form, even before I knew what the words interactive or art form even meant. Yeah. And so like, or like, if you, if we can talk about like when you were yeah. younger, was your family relatively supportive of you expressing yourself in such an outwardly way um, or less? <laughs> Uh, it depends on the day. I mean, so I, no, 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 it's fine. So I, I grew up in two very different households. So my parents split when I was, I think, 18 months old. Um, second generation on both sides of my family, Chuck on one side, Sicilian on the other. My dad was Sicilian. Well, I mean, is he passed, but that's <laughs> another weird thing. I don't, I don't even know how to refer to that anyway. Um, <laughs> but that was a very Orthodox household. So like him and his mother, my grandmother, it was like Orthodox Catholic, very linear, and yeah. so if there was any breaking from that, it was not welcomed, um, you know, so we'd go back to mass. And if I, you know, showed up in a color that was bright, my grandmother would probably start slapping me being like, that's a color for women, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. Whereas my mom was, you know, like sort of free spirited hippie. I was reading tarot cards and, you know, running around like a flower child nude in the sprinklers howling like a wolf. So it was, <laughs> you know, I think I, I don't even think that for my mom, she necessarily understood because um, she grew up with eight brothers herself, but I think she was open to whatever that might manifest as. Whereas for my dad and grandmother and that side of the family, it was very much like, no, you're a boy, you're a little man, essentially. You need to act like a little man and everything that that entails relative to their ideology. Yeah. So did you did you find that you had to like kind of tuck part of yourself away then for a certain part of your life, probably like up until... Like, when did you finally say, no, I want to be this little naked child howling <laughs> the sprinkler? I, um, I, or like more, like, when did you kind of like have that realization where it was just easier to lean into who you are as opposed to, you know, even though it was difficult, that's oh, the course. thing. It's like, it's difficult, but the the pain of not being that yes. is worse, right? Does that make sense? It does. No, absolutely. And I think it's kind of strange too, because like in my childhood, um, 
because of the legalities and things that went on, like I actually used like a, a false name for a long time growing up because my mom took me away from my dad and we were literally like on the federal most wanted list. So like mm -hmm. I was the kid with their face on a milk carton. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I was in school and I used a different name, which was Christopher Filosovich most of the time. And I grew up differently. So I was always acting. I always had masks on. So I think in that way, there was sort of the expressiveness of that where I got to play a character. Now, obviously that had a lot of detrimental impacts, um, but it also allowed me to sort of embody these different elements of myself almost at will. Yeah. Um, but it probably wasn't until like the formative years, like 12, 13, 14, where I was just like, well, I am who I am. And that is what it is. And at that point, it was definitely like just the rebellious, you know, F the world. I don't give a shit, like rejection of everything that had been enforced upon me. But I mean, it wasn't probably until I would say my my 30s, honestly, my early 30s, where it really took on something more substantial where I'm like, well, I can be who I am legitimately without a mask on. So like, let's take this mask off. And if there's a monster under there, that's okay. And I can accept and love the monster and sort of nurture it into something less monstrous. And it was never that, um, but just that sort of wholehearted radical acceptance of self. It, it was a really convoluted journey. And I think it is for, for most of us to get to whoever we are and then that changes and then we have to rediscover ourselves again. again. And Yay. it's bewildering and beautiful and surreal. And that's that's the journey. Yeah. So then how, when did you start doing like, well, obviously you've always been an artist in like visual form or whatever, but when, when did you start seeing like photography as like one of the main ways, like, did that help you with that process for yourself? Like to figure out who you were or who you wanted to be in the moment or things like that? Like how, like in your thirties, I guess that would be, or like, how long have you been doing photography? Like what? So it's, it's kind of curious, like we, we have to track back to childhood for a second here to little Johnny, because since I moved around so much and I was always leaving things behind, like at one point I was gifted a Polaroid camera. And so I just started taking pictures of friends and of dogs and of lakes and of houses or hotels or wherever we were, because it was sort of this anchor of stability. Because even though I wasn't there and I lost those friends or had to say goodbye, there was something tangible that I could hold on to. So I think even at that point in time, I identified photography as a means to sort of fight against the relentless sands of time, you know, and the fact that all things are transient. Um, but it gives us a chance to archive some of those things that are really important to us. And then I really got away from that. I was a multi-sport athlete. I studied like biochemistry and electrical engineering in college. I was going to go into medicine or biomedical engineering and that didn't happen. But I mean, it wasn't until my early thirties when I actually picked up a camera again in a substantial way, just to reconnect with myself where I was like, all right, I'm not happy as a person. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel expressive. And it was actually a really hard time in my life where I was experiencing just immense anxiety. Like I hadn't left my house in I think two months mm -hmm. because I was just, every time I'd walk out, I felt the world closing in on me. Um, and I got the camera. And then what that really allowed me to do was to step back into the world and to actually be able to hide behind it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, the camera wasn't even a means for me to connect at first. It was a means for me to be present where I felt safe. Yeah. And then that safety sort of burgeoned into connection and then unraveled into this really beautiful journey that I'm still on now. But it was, it was really a, um, a life preserver for me because I was drowning and it yeah. gave me something to hold on to that really kept me afloat through one of the hardest, you know, periods of my life. Yeah. And then you obviously like you also write like a, you like will occasionally drop little nuggets of poetry on the old <laughs> Facebook yeah. uh, and things like that. Has writing also been an ask like an outlet for you to kind of help you work through some of those like really more difficult thoughts or feelings or things like that for you? Uh, very much so. And I would say that writing was probably my first art form in any sort of consolidated sense. I mean, even when I was younger, I spent so much time alone and there was all of this angst and all of this pain. And I, I it's funny because I was always precocious and highly intellectual, but like, because I wasn't in the traditional educational system long enough, it took me longer to learn how to read than mm -hmm. most kids. But it's like, once I learned how to read, I just read voraciously. And it was the same way. So once I kind of realized that, hey, I could write these feelings down and there's this tangible sort of catharsis that comes with that, where even if no one reads it, it's less pain inside of me. Um, that also became a way for me to sort of not only express myself, but stay, um, I guess, I, even, seen and heard, even if no one was seeing it or hearing it, yeah, I felt seen and heard you, by myself. You were seeing it. Yeah, that's exactly. why I always tell people when it comes to like how journaling is so important. Like I kept a journal from the time I was like four because I was bullied yeah. as a little kid and I, and similarly like 
I had to, yeah, I just took to writing because I was like, I'm alone. I can just write and that's wonderful yeah. and nobody has to see it. So it's okay. Um, but I got to see me and actually, I don't yeah. know about you, but because you wrote things like down as you were like growing up, do you remember them much more clearly in detail in your mind? Like obviously oh. stuff our brain hangs on to anyway. Yeah. But like not even the bad stuff. Like I can remember exactly what I was wearing in certain specific yeah. instances in like grade six and like seven. And people are like, what? Like, I don't even remember what I was doing yesterday. <laughs> oh, no, I'm I'm definitely the same way. And I mean, I think the writing solidified that, but I just have a tendency more toward like a photographic memory anyway. Okay. So, you know, if I think about being in my grandmother's kitchen and some of the good memories of like cooking with her, my Sicilian grandmother, like I remember the smells, mm. I remember the texture, the like, you know, yeah, she used to throw this you know the pasta on the wall to find out if it was done yeah. in traditional fashion and it's like I can remember the sound that the pasta made when it hit the wall and the feeling of it in my hand because that was my favorite part of cooking yeah. pasta with it was throwing it against the damn wall Amazing. um but definitely the things that I wrote down for better and for worse that you know created much more of a sort of like cemented memory in my mind where I think those elements um you know even if it's just the hierarchy of memory they were prioritized higher because they were expressed that way too and I mean you know obviously even being in college that's the thing it's like you write down notes you rewrite notes and it's just like it's almost self-programming so inadvertently we program those things into my mind there's definitely a lot of things I wish I wouldn't have programmed into yeah, my exactly. mind yeah exactly it's like we but... could burn that one that's okay <laughs> yeah let's just you know <laughs> cut that cut that neuronal connection it's like maybe that... if I but here's the thing you can actually your brain rewrites your memories anyway it so does like like whether good or bad so it yeah like, absolutely every time you replay it it's different than it was the first time like so yeah, we never actually it. know what actually happened that's uh, which is the wildest thing about being a human you're like no I'm it is and this is exactly what happened and your brain's like bitch please i filled in all the gaps <laughs> for you with whatever you want to feel it's from true so well, like, that's one of the techniques that people can use though to kind of help them through a harder memory yeah like okay but let's explore what could it have been like yep. let's see like what were the good things happening or create good things happening yeah said to kind of reparent those parts of ourselves which is kind of crazy like the it is it's like you know neuroplasticity <laughs> and being able to sort of redefine those elements there's a show that i watched a long time ago but there's one character in it and he's you know discussing memory and he's like you know it's it's kind of like when you remember something from childhood and you don't know if it's your memory or someone else's and then you realize that it's actually just something you saw on tv uh, you know and it's yeah. it's that that aspect where it's so surreal and we step back into those times and each time it's a little bit different and it's all a dream you yeah. know it's it's it is it is that and it, it's so open to not only interpretation but redefinition and redefinition and there is a lot of power in that if if you know you know how to wield that which is why I think like photography is a great tool to have because it is, it can be more factual nowadays, maybe not so much with Photoshop, but like, <laughs> but the thing is like when you take a snapshot or when you like set, like basically for like you use a lot of amazing light and a lot of like cool sets and like that's yeah. really important for you is to create the whole scene but like so when you look at those photos though, like when you, you specifically look at your own photos, you're not just seeing that you're also seeing the context that built that right like oh, of course um like why oh this is like you remember why you chose the color scheme that you yep. did the textures that you did and stuff like that and I think that's so cool like that can help us really like see a moment and then remember the context that brought it yeah. in place which is really cool so people get your photos taken is what we're trying to say <laughs> yes absolutely uh, like it's a must well, and yeah. I think on that note, too, a lot of people look to both of us because obviously we both do a lot of self-portraits. And, you know, for me, I know they come to me often and ask for that advice. And it, it ties into what we were just talking about with the journaling, where the first mm -hmm. thing I say to people is these don't have to be created for consumption. You know, it's like this idea that every single thing we do as artists or photographers, like it has to be content. It has to go on the gram. It has to go here. It has to go in my book. And it's like, this is your private art. This is your private expression. So even for self-portraits, like you can have your diary of self-portraits that literally no one ever sees and they're no less important or significant or valuable because of that. I literally um, remember reading this book when I was, I don't know, it was probably grade seven, but it was like an old history, like an old, old book of, uh, they had unearthed somebody's diary from like the, like, I don't know, like the 1800s or something like that. And then transcribed it into a book. So I read yeah. that and, I, and from that moment, I was like, 
I'm going to write so many diaries and nobody's going <laughs> to read them until I die. And it's going to be amazing. And then I was like going back and reading through my journals from like grade six. And it's like, today I went to band class and I was like, so moody. I'm going to like love this. <laughs> like I was the most like conservative kid ever. It's like fun. But I mean, I think that's, I think that's the thing is like, it's a beautiful bit. Like that was so significant to you then, yeah. you know, it was like that I aspect. I do that for somebody like, yeah, like a hundred years from now, we'll unearth my like grade six journal and be like, wow, she was cool. <laughs> well, I mean, with, with the way things are going right now, I mean, it might be one of the last scraps of humanity that, that's you know, true. aliens reflect on. So it could be intensely interesting if people but yeah, don't know. And with photography or like self-portraits, that's a good point because a lot of people say like, oh, well, I don't have time to do them or whatever. And I'm like, you have to, like, for me, it's a daily practice now. Or yeah. Daily. But it's like, you have to do things that do not yield you money. Yeah, like, have to. Especially as an artist, like you just have to spend, and you just have to spend time with yourself. Yeah. Like, people don't spend enough time just being by themselves and like you can still do something that's why I like doing self-portraits because I'm in my hands are busy doing something so my brain is freed up to think yeah. about things and process things as I'm putting together a self-portrait um when you do your self-portraits do you start with one idea in mind and then end up completely in a different direction sometimes or are you very often Oh, I was yeah, just, I would, are you pretty like, nope, this is what the, I'm creating. No, I mean, sometimes if there's something that really struck me, let's say it's something that I read or something that I saw in nature or it was a movie, like I'll get a defined idea in my mind and I want that, so that mm -hmm. one thing. And in those cases, I might go in and take 10 frames and be like, boom, I'm done. Mm -hmm. That's rarely the case. Normally I go in with a, a set of vagaries or ideas and then that takes me somewhere else entirely. But that's my favorite thing about it is being open and receptive to that process. So just yeah. seeing where I wind up and that to me is where it becomes like a date with myself, yeah. where it becomes love with myself because it's like, all right, we're just going to start the night here and then we wind up here and suddenly, you know, you're with someone and you're at a jazz club and it's 2 a.m. and it's this beautiful thing. And similarly with myself, I want it to be something where I get so carried away in the moment that it takes me to a place that I didn't expect to be. And that's, that's when it feels, and I do the same thing with, with clients whenever I can, or personal projects. It's like, I have ideas, but then if something strikes or something doesn't work out or it does work out really well, and I wind up elsewhere, I try and maintain some semblance of, of receptivity to that. Yeah. I think that that's like, that helps us to stay like connected to that authentic artist piece of ourselves, which so many like system, like systemic or systemic systematic ways of doing things like, it's like, no, like here are your six poses, like do those <laughs> poses and you will yep. stick to those because those sell and you'll make money, which yes, it's important to have like foundational posing for clients that are a bit harder to trust or open yeah. up or whatever and you just can't get there but for like 99 percent of clients they want you to create art with them yes um i think is the thing that a lot of photographers especially new photographers this is like like you start when did you start your business well i mean i guess i i started doing it what i would say in a professional sense like four or five years ago probably okay so we're like facebook groups a thing then yes yes like did you get thrown in like okay so i started about like boudoir specifically i yeah. started like, eight years ago or something like seven eight years ago so their facebook groups were not a thing so yeah, i had yeah. to like figure shit out on my own like <laughs> take courses whatever like do the things and figure yeah. it out which was great because then you're just doing stuff but now like people are just before they even begin they yeah, are yeah. in a facebook group and they are being told what is right and what is mm -hmm. wrong by a lot of different groups. And they don't have the opportunity to fuck up. Like yep. they don't, they're afraid like, oh my God, my work is terrible. Yeah, it should be terrible. <laughs> like you need to have a, like that preliminary, yes. like having your first shitty apartment. Like you don't yep. get to miss that step. Yep. Because that's when it is the most enjoyable. Like it, it is. Stand by that dumpster, it's going to be super edgy. 
And, now and then like, someone's like, oh, never put someone by a dumpster because it means yeah! it's trash. And you're like, maybe the person was feeling trashy that day. But it's it's that idea of like the imposition. And I think even us talking about that hyper niche thing earlier, I see that as being so damaging to new photographers where it's like, well, I have to get in and I have to decide I'm going to do weddings and I'm only going to do weddings in Atlanta and I'm only going to do small weddings in Atlanta and I'm only going to do small weddings in Atlanta that are vegan and I'm only going to do small <laughs> weddings in Atlanta that are vegan and this. And then it's like, wow. And then that's everything is directed toward that. And everything has to fit into that, that tiny microcosm. And so there's no room to explore. There's no room to, people are like, well, what should I photograph? I'm like, anything, everything. everything. Cats, people, landscapes, cigarette butts on the street. Like I, it doesn't, everything. That's how you discover, but you have to explore. You have to fail. You have to fall. You have to think that it's fucking stupid and you're stupid and it's all awful this is trash yeah absolutely (laughs) like that's all part of it and it's that's a conversation that doesn't get had enough like you're gonna get frustrated and yeah it's gonna suck and yeah you're gonna feel like you suck and technically speaking your work's gonna start out shitty because there's no other way for it to start out and that's not only okay it's absolutely necessary to get to the next phase you need experience to become experienced you can't just start (laughs) experience like yeah that works and yeah and I think that's like people are missing out on a lot of the joy and the fun that I like the Dunning-Kruger effect is real like when your work is (laughs) the most shit you are the most confident in time because it will get to a point where you don't think you're good where you deconstruct good everything yeah you're you're you could have a portrait in the Louvre and you're like actually I could have done yeah the nature of the beast exactly so it's like enjoy that shitty process at the yeah. beginning because it's actually quite fun but that's what self-portraits yeah. uh, i remember being like if i'm gonna fuck up this is the place to do it and this is why yeah. they're so important is because like yeah i get so frustrated like i have an idea and it's just not working things are falling over or like the camera battery died oh, of course. like 10 minutes in after you just trek to a fucking location like <laughs> you know and you're like yeah, but yep. you took the time to do the thing and now you've learned a lesson yeah <laughs> make sure you it's, pack it, extra batteries <laughs> it's it's true and i mean even you know like when i first started doing self-portraits heavily some years ago i'd release them and people are like oh you're so this or you're so photogenic or you know these things or you're so technically proficient and you know i wish i would have been doing bts like i do now because the reality of it is for those three frames i might have shot a thousand photos And, you know, I fell off a box a hundred times and nearly broke both my ankles to get something. And then there was me having a hissy fit and temper tantrum where I was kicking apple boxes and tearing down backdrops (laughs) and then just sitting in the mirror like, I suck, everything sucks, this is the worst. Yeah. But then, you know, obviously we put that out there and the assumption is like, oh, well, he walked in there and, you know, got an amazing photo. It was one. And then he's like, I'm gonna go have a Bellini now. Like, this is fine. No. (laughs) No, absolutely not. If you're listening to this, absolutely not. You definitely have to fail a lot and like try, but you know, what's funny. It goes back to your uh, grandma throwing spaghetti at the wall. That's literally what it is. You need to do a photo shoot where you just like throw spaghetti. I do. I think because that literally is what has to happen for art and creativity to actually exist. But the thing too, is like everything you learn eventually comes around to making sense to find your style, to create yep. that. And if you eliminate the possibility for that, this is why I encourage people to take workshops outside of their genre. Yeah, Like I still invest in workshops that are wedding workshops or not even related to photography. Like I'll yeah. take, I took a blogging workshop or like things like that. And I'm like, you know what? This is all going to make sense at some point or who knows what I can learn over here. I always think of like, like bring it on. Or like yeah, any yeah. of those movies where like they have to win the dance competition and they're like, oh, we can't do it doing the same thing that's very systematic. Instead, we have to go learn from like 5,000 different things and then apply that knowledge to make our own yeah. special sauce. And that's what we can do with art. <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes back to just being so consolidated. I mean, I've been more influenced, especially recently by, you know, especially foreign cinema than anything else. And so you know, the interplay of sound and texture and color and the moods and the expressiveness. And even watching something that has subtitles for me is great because I relate to it in a different way. Like I'm reading as I'm seeing. And so it's happening simultaneously or I'll turn subtitles off and enjoy it just for the visual elements and the the cadence of language that I don't specifically understand. And it just puts me in a very different emotional state. And I'm like, wow, like I want to infuse my work with what I just felt even saying, and I'm getting goosebumps just because it's it's such a visceral thing 
yeah. then not only the techniques, but bringing that intangible emotion and that passion back into my work. So it's so important for photographers, I think, to explore mediums other than photography, whether it's learning or viewing or participating, like get away from your camera for a while and you'll come back feeling so rejuvenated and so much more inspired. And it's also easy. Like if I look at your work, I'm like, oh, Terry did this amazing self-portrait session. Like I'm a self-portrait artist too. Like I suck because it wasn't this. It's different if you were a painter, because if I was looking at you as a painter doing a self-portrait, I can't compare apples to apples because it's not the same medium. Mm -hmm. So it even starts to take out some of that like self-loathing and the comparison and the imposter syndrome. We can sort of remove that from the equation if we move away from our medium, which is so liberating and powerful. It's so, 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 so important for people to do that. And I think just like in general, for anybody that finds themselves comparing in any capacity, like just look outside of whatever you're so yep. focused on. Like, so that I talk to people like about body image or things like that. I'm like, you're so focused on your body. Like, instead of like focusing on what it looks like, let's look at what it can do. What yes. does it feel? What does it smell? Like, let's examine like the other things that it's capable of than just what it looks like and just see what comes of that it may be yeah, nothing yeah. it may be something it's no. oh go ahead. yeah it's no I was just gonna say it's so curious and obviously going back to like my style like I always get accolades on my style and the funniest thing to me is so much of what I wear is like secondhand you know I picked I picked it up at like Goodwill for five dollars and I love like finding these old like grandmother's jackets especially floral stuff like what I'm wearing now not that any of you can see this but people are like, yo, bro, is that like Gucci? Is that this? And I'm like, no, it's like the same thing that your grandmother's couch was made out of. Like this was extra fabric. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but it's literally like how you wear it. Yeah. So I even did an A-B test with a friend of mine and I like had him put something on and we went out and it's like, people were like, what's up with him? Because he just wasn't at ease and comfortable and confident. So there's, there's this intangible element like with style even where it's like you could wear anything, but if you wear it and you walk out and snap and you're like, I'm fucking here, see me? People are like, oh damn, that's amazing. Versus yeah. you could have couture stuff on and walk outside and you know, you're and in your own world. like you deserve it or that. Exactly. And then people don't even notice or they do and there's a negative connotation simply because of how you're projecting yourself into this world because people's opinions of us and beliefs often are very much rooted in our own. And obviously there's bias and there's things that exist far beyond that. But, you know, at least for me in my life, it's generally it's been a mirror, you know, and I'm out there and I'm doing things that are good. The, the universe sort of responds in kind not to get too metaphysical with things. Well, no, but that's like one of, I'm working on a course right now for people just to help with the idea of self-expression and fashion is one of those segments Yeah, because uh, I am one of those people that like it. I have so much fun stuff that I would yeah. love to wear or want to wear, but I don't. Um, number one, practicality is one of the of things. Of course. I need, I need to be like rolling on the ground and stuff like that. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. Hey, what there I, there what is that. To fix. But, That's legitimate. <laughs> but the thing is like a lot of the stuff that I would want to wear, I do know there is a voice in my head uh -oh. that is also, oh, did I freeze? Hold on. So friends, my internet cut out again. As you know, this is a thing that happens, so it's fine. Uh, this is part of the transient nature of life. Indeed, <laughs> everything's ephemeral. But yeah, exactly. But the thing is, we were talking about is like that wardrobe is something that a lot of people are like, oh, I would want to wear this, but I have to wait for this occasion or yep. this specific group of people that I can wear this in and feel safe wearing this yep. in. Um, but wardrobe is such a beautiful way or like style is such a beautiful way of being able to express yourself and like yeah. your, like your innerness, what like inner yeah. artists or like, and everybody has this. You don't have to be a self proclaimed artist that is a photographer or whatever but like everyone has this desire to wear something that reflects who they want to be yeah um but if you have felt any sort of rejection of that mm. part of yourself you are going to be less likely to want to enjoy wearing those things but i think the best thing you can do to honor that authentic part of yourself is to do that to wear even just one thing like maybe yep, yep. it's like a bold earring or johnny's got beautiful earrings on right now and a beautiful mm, uh oh, gold necklacey thing 
um and like just like one thing just pick like yeah. one thing and wear it and just become aware of like what your brain is trying trying to convince you of and talk back to it parent that part of your brain that's like oh they're gonna think you're whatever like that's the yeah. thing is your brain's gonna be like whatever you are afraid of being called is yeah, what yeah. you assume people are going to be thinking of you absolutely yeah. And so I think, was there any, any like specific words, like when you first started to kind of express yourself more with wardrobe, was there any sort of identities you were afraid of being called? Oh, um, be, yeah, yeah. That you could easily trace back to like when you were a kid, like that's what oh, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything to do with like shame, foolishness, you know, this type of thing, less than like on my dad's side of the family, it was, you know, very much the machismo thing, the man thing. So like being looked at as less of a man or as weak or as this. And so all of these different strange things, but a lot of it just kind of came down to like, you know, this idea of, oh, you look foolish, you look stupid, mm. you look this, you look that. So just that very baser surface level judgment of like, you look less than because of this. So that, that, you know, diminishing, and whatever words that sort of took on, they all sort of lead back to that same idea that like, oh, you're not this or you're not that. So it's it's really strange. And I think, you know, the, the more that I kind of started playing with it, the more that I realized I love it because it's, it's in, like I said before, an interactive art form where we get to, in some ways, directly impact how the world perceives us in those moments. Mm -hmm. You know, you could dress in something crazy and bold, go out midday, go and change into something conservative and literally see how the air shifts around you in those things. And rather than being something of being fearful, you're like, hey, if I want to be seen as a bold bitch today, I'm going to wear my bold bitch earrings and fuck anyone who doesn't like that versus like, oh, people are going to call me a bold bitch and they're going to think something mm -hmm. less of me. I'm like, good. I hope those people, you know, don't want to be near me because today I can't have them in my <laughs> sphere of influence. So like, stay yeah. the fuck away. <laughs> well, I think that's where too is like hearing that like like for people to become self-aware of that self-talk that comes up and says oh I'm afraid of yeah and then catch that and say who called you that first mm -hmm. like who told you that a long time ago that you shouldn't be that and yep. what does it mean if you and I my favorite game to play is well what would happen if they did yeah then which what? is and then people are like what because <laughs> well... it's plan for the yeah, worst thing to happen like, what do you think is going to happen and of course like we mentioned there are some folks out there that can will wear certain things and will unfortunately experience harm and will experience death potentially like yeah. yes there are real risks that come with expressing your most very much so well, uh, and I, I think even to that, you know, that that that's actually a, a really salient point. And it's like, first of all, living in this country, and obviously this country has changed, but in the US, and then for me living in Denver, you know, Denver is sort of like a liberal bastion in a very conservative state. So even for me, I can go out in Denver wearing what I'm wearing right now. And it's just like lots of love. But if I just go east onto the plains, that changes really quickly where I go into a gas station and instead of people being like, oh, is that Gucci? They're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, so and not to say that I'm in danger, danger in those scenarios. Like yeah, but but there there is there is legitimate elements to this, like with any type of expression. And so it's not like, oh, just go out there and do this because it's not appropriate or even reasonable or safe for a lot of people. And I'm really happy that you brought that up because that's so yeah. true and also not talked about very often it's like oh just be expressive and don't worry about it and you're like well i live in backwoods louisiana no offense that. i've lived there yeah. yeah exactly like you might someone might pluck you off the road if you're walking and you're never seen or heard from again and it's it's a, it's a truth of our reality it's a tragic truth but a truth nonetheless yeah and so that's why like i think it is more important for those of us that do have the privilege to be able to show up in our most authentic forms yes. so that way eventually it will give more permission to more people um yeah. one of my favorite do you follow alok menon or they, I go, do. By, they go by alok v menon yeah. they're like the way um, they, like listen to everything they say because wild they, like the the spoken words that come yeah. out are always poetic uh the way they dress is always phenomenal uh you should photograph them because that oh, would i would legitly insane. i would be beside myself <laughs> uh i would be like can i assist like but yeah, that's like done. they speak a lot about that um specifically because they do get a lot of like hate obviously yeah away for the way they dress and stuff like that um about how 
hard it is, but how important it is because the more freedom we give ourselves, the more freedom it gives other people. Yeah. And the more people are free, the more people are free. Yeah, um, exist as they are. So to, since we're on the topic of death and dying, tell <laughs> us about let's segue gently into your near death experience. Like obviously I got the highlights on the old Facebook. Um the, the socials. But yeah, but uh number one, if you want to share the details, it doesn't have yeah. three details, but kind of like not only what happened, but then also like what has changed since that experience for you, I think is the most important part. Yeah, agreed. Well, no. And I mean, for, for those of you who don't know, um, it was March 21st going into the 22nd the evening. I'd been at my studio. It was a long day. I was leaving my studio um, completely exhausted, looking forward to getting home and getting some food and taking a shower and passing out probably on my couch. And uh, I walked out the door and there was just, there was a confrontation essentially like at my studio. It was just outside of my studio. And there was someone who was there, didn't know them, completely random, completely unprovoked. And, um, you know, it, it resulted in me simply trying to walk away from a situation. When I went to walk away, they must have had a knife, which I didn't realize. Um, and they were on the ground at that point. They had kind of shoved me. There was a slight altercation. And I'm just trying to get away at this point. And, and that, you know, where I was at in Denver at the time, down on First and Broadway, there's like, it's not, I don't want to say it's a bad area, but there is the potential for those types of interactions and not that level of violence, but unpleasant interactions. And so I was almost accustomed to it to the point where I didn't even think to worry yeah. because it was almost commonplace. So, you know, I pushed the person, I went to leave. And then I was stabbed. I got stabbed three times in the back of my leg. One of those um, entry points severed an artery, a major artery in my leg. And so the person took off. I was an EMT in a different life when I was much younger. And so as soon as I felt my the back of my leg, I knew it had happened, you know, because it was like someone turned a faucet on. And so it was just streaming. I know. <laughs> and um, I went to get on the phone to call 911 and I realized that I was already starting to pass out from blood loss and shock. So I'm like, if I try and do this inside of this building, I'm going to pass out and someone's going to find me dead tomorrow. So I actually army crawled out of my out of the studio, out of the building, into the road, a major road mm -hmm. and crawled into the road, just followed by this trail of blood and started screaming and waving my arms everywhere. Mm -hmm. And luckily, you know, people stopped. I didn't get ran over first and foremost, um, but people stopped. And one of the people who stopped was, it turns out, an ex-army medic. So he wow. got out and was like, what do you need? What do you need? I was like, hey, artery severed. Please take off my belt. We have to tourniquet my leg. I'm bleeding to death right now. And obviously the best person you could have there in a scenario is an army medic because yeah, trauma like, is all they do. Oh, at yeah. Oh, look at it. Blood. You know, this to, to, to him, it was just like, oh, this is a like joke. One-handed you know, while he's yeah. like, on the phone. Like, I'm going to be late, sweetie. Yeah. Like, there's something going on. So he did that. And then I, it was all just a blur from there. Um, you know, and I woke up the next day and I didn't even know where I was at, obviously from the surgery and the trauma and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think in sort of the aftermath of that, it was, it was really strange just being in the, being in the ER and then being at home, but not being able to do anything. I'm a very physical person. I'm a very driven person. So first and foremost, it was so strange to say like the gravity of this is such that I cannot do anything. Mm. And so, um, I'm a very introspective person, but I use my extroverted qualities and art to mask that sometimes where I'll be so hyper involved in art and creating and connecting that I lose the depth of myself in that. So I sort of was thrown into the deep end of the pool of self where I'm like, oh shit, like I have been avoiding some things and automatically, you know, traumas and negativity and, and all of these sort of self-deprecating things or self-damaging dysfunctional things emerged in mass. And, you know, it was good in that I had to deal with them, but it was bad in, in the sense that I was drowning in them. Um, but it's it's odd even now reflecting on it, because I think in those instances, at least for me, in, when that happened, like a part of me did die. There was a part of me that, that, I, that did get lost. And some of that is good and some of it is bad, but there were tangible parts, bits and pieces of me that are no longer here. So as I sort of got through the grieving of that, I said, okay, well, now if there's space within me, what do I want to fill that space with? Um, what, what, what seeds can I plant now that there's fertile soil that I can, you know, sort of reap later? And it, it really just re-solidified for me this idea of art and connection and empowerment and, and love and 
and everything. And I'm just like, wow, you know, we have such limited time here in the grand scheme of things. And I don't feel like we have to do everything. Like we can't be wrapped up in accomplishing and achieving all the time because that's no way to live. But I'm like, how can I be more impassioned and dedicated to these things that are more important to me and, and bring them to life into the world in a more tangible and powerful way. And then, you know, the studio that I'm in now, my new studio availed itself to me because I was already like, well, I got to get the hell out of that part of town. I'm not yeah, going back there. Don't want that. <laughs> yeah. You know, for any of you who have been through, obviously, any type of like trauma, especially physical trauma, like place is such a big thing for that. So having to go back to the same place, even as I was moving out, was like, ugh. Well, yeah, just your so, whole body is just like, nope, nope, nope. This you're, you're reacting as if you're present yeah. in those moments again. And that's physiological. That's not even a mental thing. That's your body trying to protect you. Yeah. Um, but this, this opportunity arose and I was like, wow, I've been thinking about doing more workshops. I want to do more with like these open studio days to bring photographers in. I want to have gallery showings for artists of all mediums, especially those that are underrepresented. I want to have a place where people can be seen and heard and celebrated. I want to have you know, more leverage to be able to give voice to those who don't have voices or who are limited in what they can say or how they can say it. Mm -hmm. And the studio became this sort of tangible expression of that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go all in. And, and the question I was asking myself in the aftermath was like, if you don't do this now, you're never going to do it. So I guess it was more of a statement, but I'm like, now in the aftermath, I'm almost dying. Like if it's not important enough to me now, yeah. when else in my life is this going to be important enough? Yeah. And not even, you know, from an egoic perspective of putting my feet over the fire, but just to say like, this is the moment when you get to decide to go all in, in okay. a way that you haven't, yeah, done before. And I did. And it's like, you know, even my physical therapist was like, why is your leg swollen? And I'm like, well, I've been on scaffolding, painting walls for 14 hours a day for the past five days. And she was like, not good. And I was like, but I, I but it, 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 that even became therapeutic because for me, I think throughout my life, I've been through, you know, I've endured so many traumas and, and most outside of myself, but also self-imposed trauma and dysfunction. And I've been able to get through so much of it because I could contextualize it and saying, hey, this is this has empowered me to help other people. This has empowered me to be more empathetic. This has empowered me to be able to, to sit down with someone and to not just say I know, but to legitimately know when yeah. someone needs that. And so I've always used that as the means to sort of not necessarily justify trauma, but to make sense of it to myself and to be able to move forward with love well, that's and gratitude. Like, that's like Victor Frankl's man search for yeah. me. That, right? That's exactly. Like, like that. well, and, I, I, and I actually almost referenced that earlier. And I read that book at least once a year, but there is, you know, a, a part in there and I'll, I'll butcher the paraphrasing. Um, but it's essentially like to suffer with grace when you have no other choice is one of the greatest triumphs of the human spirit. But to suffer unnecessarily is one of the greatest tragedies of the human spirit. Yeah. So I started even asking myself then, I'm like, well, how much of what I've been experiencing is self-imposed? And what can I here and now let go of? And so people were sort of flabbergasted because they'd see me and, you know, I just got off crutches and I'm dancing in cowboy boots and just laughing. They're like, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, I'm alive. I'm like, I have, I didn't lose my leg. I didn't lose my life. Like I'm here. I can dance. I'm like now even more, I've always been an eccentric outgoing person. I'm like, I don't give a shit who says anything to me about dancing because I got by all right, I shouldn't even be here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of looked at it as a means to like liberate myself from the things that I was holding myself back from. Um, and obviously I'm still working through that, but it just became like, I'm going to go all in. And if I fail, if the studio fails, if I go bankrupt, you know what, that's okay. Cause I'm still alive. And money can come again and opportunities because it's in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that potentiality is not that significant or important. And I think that's like one of the biggest, like the word fail is so dumb. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> Well, because like you did the thing. So you, you, you succeeded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you yep. know what I mean? Like the only oh, absolutely. not doing it at all. Um, and that's what I tell a lot of like up and coming, like people that want to be photographers or want to have a creative life or whatever. And I'm like, literally the only way you fail is just by not doing the thing at yeah. all. Like if you start it, you're doing it, then it's not a failure. It might transition to something different. You may have to move out of a location to another location. You may have to, you may find that it's not for you after all, but just because it changes to something else doesn't mean it failed. It just means it gave you the experience you needed to know something more. Of course. Um, and yeah. And so that's why, yeah. When people are like, what if it fails? You already did it. It's good. Well, agreed. And, you know, I think for me too, like you had talked about going to the very end, you know, the one thing is when we experience anxiety, anxiety ultimately 
is is interfaced with the unknown. So if we can make that unknown known, it becomes digestible and doable very quickly. And so I did that. I'm like, all right, well, you know, my rent is three times the amount now. And I don't know when I'm going to be on full steam with my legs. So all of the financial things started to come, which are relevant. But I'm like, well, what, what really is going to happen in worst case? And I'm like, all right, so the studio closes. I go bankrupt. This all happens. And I'm like, well, then... I don't have the responsibility of a studio. I get to travel around and do workshops all around the country and world. You know, I can live kind of like this gypsy, freewheeling, drifting life as a creator, which I've always secretly fantasized about. All right, so I'm like, in your head. That's basically yeah. what his whole vibe is. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, to live the life. <laughs> and, and I'm like, so that, that I'm like in this great collapse, I'm actually liberated to do this. And same, like whenever I talk to someone, especially up and coming, especially new or those who are transitioning in some way, I, I like using the phrase fail forward mm -hmm. like because the only thing like failure is is essential to everything and if we can shift how we perceive that word if we can shift what we experience when we hear that not only is it no longer an obstacle but it's fuel for our fire whatever that fire might be um and it's every day i fail i fail it i put on outfits that i don't like i go and take photos that i hate i try new techniques and i go in and i'm like oh i bomb this shit out of that but instead of being fearful of that now, or instead of, you know, um, trying to avoid it, I embrace it. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, I went into the studio today and I failed for an hour straight. Like I put in the work because and, tomorrow. And I think more importantly, you can say like, I failed and I'm still alive. Still here, like, still because, smiling. Because the thing yeah. is like your brain is hardwired to be like, well, if you fail, then you're going to be alone and then you're going to die. Yeah. And it's like, calm down. You're, that probably won't happen in that way. Yeah. Like I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she's like, well, then I'll die in a ditch alone. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? I'm I mean, like, have to laugh at that, but. Well, that's yeah. it, but that's like but how the absurdity of it. our subconscious of is, is like, no, legit, you're going to find yourself. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's walk backwards now. So you find yourself in a ditch. Okay. Like, you know, you can call me and I will be here. I'm telling yeah. you right now. I'll come and get you out of that ditch. Yeah. And you can stay in my house. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, yeah, you exactly. alone. I will tell you that. And she's like, thank you. But that's the thing is like, yeah. our, our brains are so very quickly to spiral down to, I'm going to be alone and then I'm going to die. And it's like, calm down. That was an old tool. Yeah don't need as much now when your leg is severed then yes you might die that's yeah. legit that's the difference <laughs> and i think there's an it, it, it that, that's a conversation for us to have you know beyond but it's like in today's society when we're just bombarded by negativity and bad news and decisiveness and divisiveness all the time all of these things it's like we're adrenally speaking physiologically speaking neurologically speaking we're constantly in a state of fight or flight yeah. even if we don't realize it and so like things become life or death that are not you know you see someone who's at a coffee shop and they can't get something and they lose it and sometimes there is like you know that aspect of okay this person's just egoic and self-absorbed and you know kind of an asshole but a lot of times they're just responding to the perceived threat in their mind subconsciously and they're so close to the edge yeah. that anything is a threat to pushing them over that edge yeah and so we're, we're we, we have to become aware of those subconscious processes just to know like, all right, am I reacting to you right now, Terry? Is this because of what's happening with us? Mm. Or is this because of everything that's going on in the world and what's happening in the back of my mind right now? And now you are an outlet for the fact that I'm angry that I was abandoned as a child. You yeah. know, you're like, oh, we have to end this early. And I'm like, oh, so you're just you leaving me. Love like, me. You're leaving me like everybody leaves me and no one's <laughs> gonna listen to this anyway. And it doesn't even matter. And I'm selling my camera. <laughs> And then I'll be alone and then I'll die. Yeah, then I'll die in a ditch. <laughs> I'm going to die in a ditch. No, Johnny, you won't die in a ditch. I'm coming to Denver in September. Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm there, at least get me out of the ditch. Like, that's the only thing I can really ask at this point. Well, don't leave of, me in the ditch. Yeah, yeah, kind of Denver. I don't know where I'm. I'm by the. I'm actually going to be staying by the airport, by the way. But okay. yeah, I mean, that's that's like Denver. I mean, the airport here is about like 15 minutes away from downtown. So you're you're just a hop, skip and a jump away I was from like, is anything. It's a Uber ride to wherever I need to go. It's oh, yeah, it's it's pretty decent out here. Yeah, everyone, Terry and I are going to get together and have a play date and make some magic and who knows what else. So, you know, keep an eye out for September because it's going to be. We're going to break the damn interwebs. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. So, Johnny, before we wrap up here, is yeah. there anything you want to let people know about authenticity, creativity, your new atelier? Is that how you yeah. say it? Yeah. There's, there's like fancy. any language. Like, fancy. At, so. at, at, atelier. 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 
You gotta see the hand gestures, people. Yeah, you have to. You have to have like an espresso or like something in your hand, a pinky out. Um. Yeah. So yeah, just whatever knowledge you want to drop at the last last bit here for people. No, I mean, I I think I think for me, just having this conversation, it's you know, the the more that I move forward in my own journey, and especially you know, with photographers like like Terry and others, just really amazing humans. The more that I realize that we're all we all share the same struggles. You know, we're all kind of going through the same things and we also repeat back like so much of this stuff is cyclical and we feel like we're back where we started, but it's like we're moving out in ever widening circles. So if you feel like you're back to where you're at, you're really not. Your orbit is increasing. Yeah, and so I you're coming back like to, visual like that where they're same. like, you know, it's just like coming up and around, up and around like a big spiral. Yeah. Spiral. And and we we keep moving out until our orbit, you know, expands into all of these other things. So it's just, you know, I... I don't even know how to summarize it, but like just talking about failure, like go out and fail, give yourself the freedom and grace to explore and experiment and fail and fall and know that it's like, that's how we learn to walk. That's how we learn to run. That's how we learn to write. That's how we learn to love. Like all of this is predicated on those elements. So they're not something to be fearful about or anxious about. And if you are feeling those things, there's nothing wrong with that either. Mm -hmm. That's okay because that's what we have been programmed to believe and how to interact with those elements, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's a much more liberating, freeing, um, beautiful way uh, to sort of interface with those elements of our lives and our beings. And it's there for you. And if you keep moving forward, you'll find it. And, you know, I, I read this great quote on the side of a trash can circling back to trash cans. Hey, there was a little sticker hey. forever ago. And it said, the only thing louder than destruction is creation. And I that always really stuck with me. And it's so simple, but I think about the world right now and how much destruction there is and how much hate and vileness there is. And so I think now, you know, more than ever, like we need creators, we need artists, we need people who are expressing and sharing and being authentic. Like that is an affront to the tide of all of this awfulness. And so, you know, like your voice is important and your art is important and your person is important and it's significant much more so than probably any of us as individuals will ever know, but like, it's it's vital. And by just being you and doing you and doing what makes your heart and spirit sing, like that's not selfish, that's a, a selfless act because you create space for others to do the same. So just like follow your heart and know that you're worthy and deserving of that and that you're just beautiful and fucking wonderful. And we're all magic manifest. And the more that we can see that, the more magical the world becomes and our connections become and our art becomes. and everything becomes so just embrace you however wherever you are and you know flowers will blossom from that I, I promise you you know after the storm clears flowers will fucking blossom now just take that last like minute or so and just like cut that and just keep that on repeat whenever you feel like shit in your life and just listen to it over and over and over again okay people because <laughs> that's what you need is somebody just telling you that you're magic and awesome and we need you to be your best self yeah. and it's interesting because with this podcast originally i was like it's gonna be about body image but i was like body image is just the tip of that fucking iceberg it's yeah. just it's a it is the uh scapegoat for the rest yeah it is it's so, it's like so many of these things it's symptomatic of a much yeah and more I'm like, encompassing realizing thing that a big part of what i want to do with this podcast is help people embrace their authenticity and free yeah. them of like a lot of these like chains that we wrap ourselves in that are not ours to begin with well and i think even you know like arbitrarily speaking to body image personally and the only way that i can speak to it like when you photographed me at portrait masters that was really beautiful but i think even with that you know to say like i'm embracing my body that doesn't have to be any one thing mm -hmm. it doesn't mean like oh you have to put on a kimono and dance half nude like that can be your interpretation in relation to embracing who you are in your body so like breaking away from these formulaic notions that in order to be here you have to do this in order to be you know a confident you have to do this because that manifests and materializes in in so many different ways relative to the individual um you know so just that aspect of things the fring i saw someone sent something to me and i, I watch it i'll have to send it to you terry but it's this beautiful bit it's a human and individual and they're like oh i'm in this small town in utah and you know they're kind of androgynous and they're like people are asking me like you know oh are you a boy are you a girl are you this you're that and they're like you know i am the clouds i am the trees i am the sky i am the grass i am heavy machinery i am the oil in your car i am the air that you breathe i am and then it just cuts 
And it's this idea of like, no, I'm not going to define myself for your benefit or comfort. Mm. Like I'm not going to fit into a box because you don't like individuals who aren't in boxes, you know, and, and all of that. And once again, getting the chills with that. So it's like, we can be who we are beyond the boundaries of definition and be free and and empowered and beautiful and, and seen as that something so much greater than what we have a tendency to reduce ourselves to, which is just, you know, so tragic. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Johnny, so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Always. Such a fantastic conversation. Um, Where can people find you and definitely follow your work because it is glorious. Oh, geez. Oh, Um, so (laughs) an FYI for you photographers out there, his light, like I always come back to your light work, but I remember that was like the first time I saw, I can't remember. Was it critique that somebody tagged you in something? I don't remember who it was, but I was like, like I need to get in on that workshop, but I couldn't do it. I was not <laughs> traveling to wherever. I think it was in LA you were doing it. It was, yeah, but it was in El Segundo. Yeah, and I was like, uh, and then I don't know what I pictured you as, but then I saw you. I was like, oh my god, this guy's so fucking cool. Um, <laughs> and then I met you, and then it was even like more heightened. But your like technical light work, it but that you experiment within the technique is so beautiful. And the people you have been photographing definitely recently. I'm like they're so beautiful um and they're just like yeah they're so individualized which is the coolest thing like from everything from the colors to the textures to the light to the styling to the posing yeah like and if you want to call it posing it's not it's not even like traditional I don't think you use so it's like everybody has their own story in their photo shoot and it is like y'all just need to follow so anyways where can they follow you <laughs> thank you so much i really appreciate that and I, just uh, the quick sidebar on that is i think for me the obsession with light and shadow is going back to writing that that those are my words those are our words light and shadow and obviously like there's so much that exists beyond those words and that's the intangible aspect of of, of connection and of, of humanity but like the way that we communicate those stories and those elements to the world as photographers is that interplay of light and shadow Mm -hmm. um and so certainly if you're out there like experiment like whoa with that because there's no right or wrong way to do anything ever um but yeah you can find me on instagram is where i'm probably the most active honestly and that's just at johnny creative no h and johnny that's the biggest thing that usually happens because I'm super unique because there's not an H in Johnny. <laughs> but it's just at at Johnny Creative. You can go to my website, um, Johnny Edward. Um, yeah, the, the last thing I'll even say too is I have some really cool workshops that are coming up that are sort of TBD, but just follow me for that. I'm going to be doing some solo stuff. First time ever doing solo workshops sort of on the alchemy of creativity and artistic expression in the realm of photography, but also expanding beyond that realm. Um, I'm going to be working with some amazing artists, hopefully Terry. Yeah, Terry's going to be one of them. <laughs> okay, on workshops where, you know, we're going to be combining our respective superpowers into these really superlative experiences for all of you where, you know, we want you to be able to walk away feeling empowered to to follow your heart and to realize your vision, visions, whatever those might be. Um, yeah, and some other fun stuff's coming up. I'm actually going to be releasing Patreon and I won't talk about that for too much, but literally for years now, people have been like, when is your tutorial coming out? When is your digital workshop coming out? And I've had these talks with these companies and we just haven't been able to find a really solid middle ground that I could that I could work with. So I'm like, well, I'm going to start doing this production on my own and you know, pulling back the veil on how I edit, which I'll be honest with all of you is hackish and very minimal. Oh, I think people too. are going to be surprised no. and upset by that. <laughs> I'm no, like, this is not, I'm like, this is the quick and dirty way to get yeah. shit done. Oh like, yeah. I'm like, like efficiency oh. is key. Same. And I'm like, I would much rather be doing so many other things than editing. Like that's, it's the polish. I love it for the fact that it's the bow on the present, but like I, I, yeah. So anyway, it'll be interesting. I think for a lot of people to see that I'm going to be doing a lot of deconstruction on my lighting and not just on the techniques, but on the thought process behind that, how I style, how I put things together. So I really want, just want to express everything. And then there'll be, you know, like some, some closed groups for people who are part of it. So it's just a way for me to sort of support this new endeavor, but also follow through on what I'm saying I want to do. And that is create and bolster and nurture both individuals and communities of individuals. Um, So keep an eye out for that. And yeah, just keep creating and sharing and being you and doing you and living you because there's literally no one else like you and the world fucking needs you and you're loved like unconditionally and you're you're awesome so if you're out there and you're hearing this and you're having a shitty day fuck the haters and the bullshit because you're amazing don't let anyone or anything hold you down or, or dim your light and on that note we're gonna go
Bye. Peace out, y'all.